You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Uh, so the year is 2003, uh, it's about halfway through that year, and for the past three and a half years, uh, I've been splitting my time doing two different things. Uh, on the one hand, I've been working as a children and youth minister in a church, kind of running the kids' programs midweek, the youth group Friday night, doing a bit of uh, preaching, service leading on occasion in that church. Uh, And the rest of my time, I've been doing a PhD in psychology, and I've just mid-year handed in the thesis, got it off my hands, uh, doing a little bit of teaching at the university. And the key question for me, midway through 2003, is what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Um, When I started doing these two things in tandem, I was really clear in my mind which direction I was going had a strong sense that God was calling me into full-time Christian ministry, that I should be a pastor of a church, a minister of a church, Uh, and doing the youth and children's work was really preparation for that. It was a way of working in a church, getting more experience before heading off to Bible college. Um, The PhD side of it came as a bit of an extra, weirdly. um, It was a way of filling the rest of the week, saving a bit of money to go to college, Um, When I started doing it, I certainly wasn't thinking of pursuing that. And yet, mid-2003, the head of the department at the university where I was studying called me into his office and offered me a job. Uh, My supervisor was retiring the following year, and basically he said, what I want you to do is to do the job next year, um, fulfil the role, and then at the end of next year, will advertise the role, you'll have all the necessary experience, you'll be able to walk into that job. It was a generous, remarkable and unexpected offer, uh, a godsend, really. Uh, And I use that term particularly because it sort of sums up the dilemma that I was facing. On the one hand, I did feel like God had called me to a role in ministry, that that was what God was calling me to do, had equipped me and gifted me to do that job. And yet here, with the presentation of this appealing offer, with everything sort of lined up for me, felt like it was God saying, here, I've presented this for you. And I was asking myself, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to make a decision between this which seems from God and this which seems from God? What is God actually saying to me? I'm confused and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And this is a really big decision about what I'm doing with the rest of my life. Now, I won't spoil the story by telling you how it ended, okay? (laughs) Though you can probably guess. Uh, And I will come back to it to spell out a bit more how... I went about trying to make the decision and discern the choice that was before me. But I want to highlight that because it really sort of sums up the dilemma that we often face in situations where we're trying to work out how do we work out what God is saying to us? How do we discern what God is speaking into our lives? 
And how do we make decisions, big decisions, which impact our lives as we seek after God in those decisions? Uh, Maybe for you, you're at a decision point in your life right now. Maybe you're trying to work out what you should study or what job you should take or whether you should stay in the job you're doing or whether you should take another job. Maybe you're trying to work out, should I get married or should I marry a particular person? Jeremy and Sarah, you've only got a week to um, (laughs) finalise that one. Uh, Maybe it's the question of, you know, should I retire and what should I do with my retirement? Or how do I care for frail and ageing parents? What's the godly way to care for them? Life's full of big decisions. Um, The types of decisions sort of change a bit as we go through life, but there's always big decisions that we want to, we have to be making. And the question is, how do we know what God's saying to us? How do we know what God is speaking into our situation? How do we discern when it seems like maybe there's two options and maybe God is saying two different things to us in a situation. I think that's the key question that we face as we come to this passage in Acts chapter 21. Uh, This is the last of our series that we've been doing on the church on mission. We've been tracing Paul's, what's called his third missionary journey. Uh, He's travelling around the world, uh, the known world at the time, talking to people about Jesus, building people up in their faith. Um, And we've been following his adventures. There's a bit of a a map there. It's a bit hard to see the detail, but you can kind of see, uh, starting from his home church up in Antioch there, he's travelled quite a long distance uh, before ending up at the end of our passage today in Jerusalem. Uh, And he travels quite a distance uh, today. He starts in uh, Miletus, which is up there. There's a dot up in the orange up there. Um, and makes a long journey through this passage uh, all the way to Jerusalem. Uh, we, we left off last week where Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, um, and there's reference to that in verse 1 of our passage. It says, after we'd torn ourselves away from them, um, that scene where people are weeping and crying as they know that they're not going to see Paul again and they have to tear themselves away from each other. Um, And then they sail on various ships uh, before making a landing at Caesarea and an overland trip down to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke, who's writing this account, clearly keeps a diary or a travel journal of some kind because he's so particular, isn't he, about the places and the people, um, which is why historians love Luke so much and why people who have to read the Bible in church hate him, uh, because they've got to pronounce all of the names uh, that he's put down there. And in these uh, verses that we've read tonight, we're reintroduced to two characters, um, two characters who we've already met in Acts, uh, though you might not remember them. Uh, So in verse 8, Paul uh, stays with a guy called Philip the Evangelist, who he says is one of the seven. In Acts chapter 6, seven people were set apart as deacons, uh, leaders within the church, uh, and Philip was one of them. And then in Acts chapter 8, we read this story about how Philip is led by the Holy Spirit, and he meets this Ethiopian court official 
who's wrestling reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he doesn't understand it because he's trying to work out who's this talking about. Philip runs alongside the chariot, says to him, I can tell you who this is about. It's about Jesus. And he explains the good news of Jesus to this man. He decides to become a follower of Jesus and they get out and he's baptised there by the side of the road. And when that account ends in Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8 verse 40, we see that Philip settles in Caesarea. And here we meet him. This is 20 years later we meet this guy now. He's got four unmarried daughters uh, who are prophets, that, that is, God speaks to them, gives them uh, messages, and they speak those messages to the people. Though they don't actually prophesy anything particular in this passage, though someone else does. Uh, and that other person is a guy called Agabus. Uh, he's been in Acts before, but he's more of a minor character. Uh, he's been back in Acts chapter 11, and he's predicted that there's going to be a severe famine, a lack of food that's going to come across the land, and it happened during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius. Uh, He now reappears here and makes another prophecy about what's going to happen to Paul when he goes to Jerusalem. And this is really, I think, where the challenge of today's passage lies. What we need to do, I think, to really wrestle with this passage is look at the references to the Holy Spirit... Um, the Spirit of God, and what the Holy Spirit has to say. Those references are in verses 4 and 11, if you've got your Bible uh, open or if you've got it on your app there. These are the key verses that I think we need to wrestle with because it's about what the Holy Spirit has to say and how Paul responds to what he hears from the Holy Spirit. So in verse 4, We read, when Paul's staying with the disciples, the followers of Jesus in Tyre, uh, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. That's verse 4. So it sounds like these disciples, they've got a message from the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, they say to Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And yet Paul leaves and continues on his way, determined to go to Jerusalem. Then in verse 11, this this prophet Agabus adds to the picture. It's pretty dramatic, actually. He takes off Paul's belt. Um, Don't think of a short leather belt with a buckle. It would have been a long strip of cloth that would have been wrapped multiple times around the waist. He ties up his hands and his feet, and he says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And the disciples, the other friends of Paul who hear this, including Luke, who's writing the account because he says, we pleaded with Paul. He's part of it. He's there saying, Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. You shouldn't go. They tell him, as a result of this prophecy, don't go. But Paul just says, look, stop stop weeping. Stop breaking my heart. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be bound. I'm even ready to die in Jerusalem. And so he continues on his way. So what's going on here? There's a few possibilities that we need to consider as we wrestle with this. First possibility is that Paul is being really stubborn and really disobedient. Right? The Holy Spirit says multiple times, if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to suffer 
do not go there. But Paul decides, no, nah, I've decided I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to do it anyway. Now, that's possible. Paul was a pretty strong-minded guy, pretty determined. It would fit his character. Uh, and if I'm honest, and maybe if you're honest, we probably can identify areas in our own lives where God tells us to do things. Maybe he tells us to do things in his word, or we have a very strong sense that God is calling us to do something. But we have our own ideas, and we drown out God's voice, or we ignore it, or we try and pretend that God isn't actually saying that. You know, la, 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 that sort of thing. Have you done that? Yeah? Maybe you're doing it now. (laughs) Genuinely. All of us have to examine our own lives and say, you know, are we aware of things that God is saying to us and how are we responding to that? Uh, It's not a good idea. God's plans are ultimately for the best. God knows us. God made us. As Lenny so beautifully prayed, God knows what is best for us and wants what is best for us. And if we're people who acknowledge God's rule over the world and over our lives, then we need to listen to his voice, not drown it out, and to do what he says. Now, as it happens, I don't think that that's what Paul's doing. I don't think Paul is blocking his ears and not listening to God. Because we need to add in another passage that we looked at last week from Acts chapter 20 when Kirk was speaking to us to shed a bit more light on what's going on here. So last week in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, if you've got it there, it'll be on the screen as well, Paul says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So Paul describes his journey to Jerusalem as compelled by the Spirit, that the Spirit is the one who is sending him and he's going because the Holy Spirit is telling him to go. He can't help but obey the call on his life. So if you ask Paul, he wouldn't say it's it's stubbornness and he wouldn't say it's disobedience. He would say that it's obedience And it's an awareness of what the Spirit is telling him to do, which is leading him there. Even though the Holy Spirit's also clearly telling him that he will suffer when he goes. Okay, that might clear up the problem as to whether Paul is being disobedient or not, but it raises an even bigger problem, might be going in your head at the moment, and that is, is the Holy Spirit contradicting himself here? Right? Through the Holy Spirit, Paul is compelled to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's telling him to go. That's Acts 20, 22. But through the Holy Spirit, the disciples at Tyre urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's Acts 21, 4. Now, that sounds like the Holy Spirit can't make up his mind. It sounds like the Holy Spirit is sending two contradictory messages. How do we wrestle with that? How do we take seriously what is written here and try and work out what's going on? Now, as someone who believes that the Bible is God's word, that the Bible is actually God speaking to us, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, that as we read the Bible, this is 
the words of the Holy Spirit, the words of God inspired through the Holy Spirit. And as someone who believes that God is faithful, reliable, truthful and trustworthy in what he teaches and in how he leads us, my default position is to say, well, it seems unlikely that the Holy Spirit would contradict himself. Right? The Bible says of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That's in uh, John 14. The Bible tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. That's in Hebrews 6. So surely the Holy Spirit can't be contradicting himself here, can he? This is a really important point for us to focus on because lots of people, um, particularly people outside the church, as they reflect on Christianity, say, well, the Holy Spirit contradicts himself all the time because the, Bi the Bible is full of contradictions. It's full of stuff that goes against other parts of the Bible. And they might spit out examples uh, of what they think are contradictions, and it can be a challenge. Uh, it's challenging for us as we engage with people and try and share Jesus with people. Uh, this comes up a lot. The Bible contradicts itself. Uh, maybe, actually, you're here today, you're investigating Christian faith, uh, but one of the sticking points for you, one of the real problems that you have is the claim that Christians make that the Bible is God's word, that this comes from God, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and yet you're wrestling with what you see as contradictions within the Bible. It's great that you're wrestling with that question. Can I encourage you to keep wrestling with it? It's a good question to be asking. And the only advice that I give you, my, my urgent advice to you, is don't be too quick just to write off what the Bible has to say, but keep wrestling with it. Just because something sounds like it could be a contradiction, don't assume it must be a contradiction. Lots of times when I chat to people and they say these sorts of things, they haven't thought deeply enough about the different passages that they're looking about at. They haven't necessarily considered the context and the whole sweep of what the Bible is saying through its whole storyline. They haven't done the deep work. They're not really giving the Bible a fair hearing. So I'd encourage you not to make that mistake. Listen to what is being said. Give it a proper hearing in the way that you would give another person a proper hearing, or even the way that you would give another work of literature a proper hearing. So here's an example. Um, the novel, A Tale of Two Cities, by Charles Dickens. The opening, opening line goes like this. This is how the book starts. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the best of times? It was the worst of times? What a load of contradictory rubbish. Throw the book away. Now, if I was to do that, is there a problem with the book or is there a problem with me? Right? There's a problem with me, isn't there? Because I haven't actually wrestled with what it's actually saying in that powerful and profound opening line of that book. Uh, and lots of times people do that with the Bible. Another trap that people fall into in this area is when they claim that the Holy Spirit is telling them something that is inconsistent with the Bible. So people say, well, I know the Bible says X, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me Y, and so I'm going to do that instead when those two things are completely inconsistent with each other. But if the Bible really is God's Word, as I believe it is, inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by the Spirit, God's Word to us, 
And if the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who cannot lie, then the Holy Spirit's not going to reveal something that goes against what he has already said, what God has already clearly said in his word. Beware, beware, beware people pushing this argument. We hear it often, claiming that the Holy Spirit's leading us into new things so we can leave the Bible behind. God doesn't lie. God is faithful. God is true. And God's word lasts forever. So I don't think the Holy Spirit is contradicting himself here either. And I think the answer is that we've got to dig more deeply into what is actually being said here and look very closely at it to see whether there is a contradiction. See, what is clear and undeniable is that the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you will suffer. Suffering awaits you in Jerusalem. That seems a surefire thing. All three of these verses confirm that. And when Paul goes there, that's exactly what happens. The question is, does the Holy Spirit tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem because he'll suffer there? Agabus doesn't say that. Agabus just um, predicts the facts. He acts it out and says, this is what's going to happen. And it's then the disciples, the other Christians, who urge Paul not to go because they love Paul. They don't want him to suffer. They don't want anything to happen to him, and so they urge him not to go. But Agabus hasn't said anything from the Holy Spirit about Paul not going, just that he will suffer. Verse 4 is less clear, isn't it? Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's a really compact, condensed phrase. What does it mean? Well, clearly the Holy Spirit's involved in giving them a message. But couldn't it be exactly the same situation as verse 11? where what the Spirit reveals is the future suffering of Paul, and so the disciples urge him not to go. Right? There is the reality of what the Holy Spirit predicts will happen, the suffering, but there's also the desires of the disciples who interpret that message and say, therefore Paul shouldn't go because they love him so much. I find this passage such a helpful passage to reflect on as we think about discernment and how discernment works. Because we need to not only hear rightly what God is saying to us through the Bible, through his Holy Spirit, we've, also, we've got to weigh up um, these things, weigh up what comes into our minds when someone shares and is this actually from God or not. But even when we have a message from God, we've got to have discernment and wisdom about what to do with it, how to interpret it. Uh, sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, I have a prophetic word from God. God has given me an image or spoken to me. Uh, and I always take it seriously when people say that. I listen to it, I weigh it up, I weigh it up against what the Bible says for consistency. Um, but often when people come, they have an image from God and then they have to interpret what it means. And sometimes the image can be from God, but the interpretation can be from the person, and you've got to pull those two things apart, like in the situation that we have here. The message from God in this passage is clear. Paul will suffer when he goes to Jerusalem. The response of the disciples is natural, that they don't want him to go, and yet it seems like that's not the right response, that God has said to Paul, you need to go, yes, you will suffer, but through that, I will do my work. Paul gets opportunities to share the message of Jesus with rulers that he stands before. 
He ends up in the book of Acts preaching about Jesus in Rome, the centre of the empire, as the good news of Jesus goes from there out. God often works in mysterious ways. It's not just knowing what God is saying, but it's also rightly responding and weighing up what the right answer is going to be. So back to mid-2003 and back to the decisions that you're faced with. What sort of things can we do when we're weighing up these decisions? Well, uh, for me, um, I spent a lot of time in prayer, praying about these two competing options that were before me, seeking God, trying to discern what God was actually saying in the midst of this situation. Can I urge you to make prayer a key part of your decision-making? When I was talking about those decisions before, maybe you've got a situation in your mind, have you prayed about it? Sometimes we can write lists of pros versus cons for decisions we're making, but we never actually bring it to God and ask what his opinion is or how he's leading us in that situation. We need to bring it before him and ask him. Now, we need to be aware when we do that that God doesn't always give us, you know, a banner flying through the sky with the answer to our dilemma. It doesn't give us the lightning bolt that we often want. Sometimes when I chat to people, they fail to make decisions. They refuse to make a choice because they're waiting for the lightning bolt from God. But God made us, gave us brains, gave us wisdom, wants us to use our own discernment to think about things for ourselves. Uh, Oftentimes he doesn't give us exactly the answer because he wants us to grow in maturity, trust him as we work out what the answer is. One of the things that I often do as a way of resolving situations is saying to God, God, I I feel like I should do this and so I'm going to proceed in that direction but if it's the wrong direction, shut the door, block the way. I don't want to go against what you would have for me. And I find that helpful because... It means you're not paralysed with, oh, I can't decide until I get exactly from you know, God the answer. But at the same time, it commits any decision to God and remains open to God's voice um, while we make the decision. Prayer is key in the decisions that we make. I also sought counsel from wise Christian friends, people that I trusted, people who knew me, and asked them uh, what, I thought, what they thought I should do. Some of them were very frank with me, um, which I appreciated. God's given us a community of other people that we can talk to, we can ask their wisdom, seek uh, their guidance. If you're facing major decisions, bring it to your life group, talk to your life group about it. Uh, Talk to trusted Christian friends, talk to one of the ministry team here if you'd like to talk about it. God's given us wisdom and guidance as a whole, the whole church, so that when we face these big decision moments, we can share them together and discern them together. But beware, your Christian friends might not not always give you the right advice. Paul's didn't in this passage. Uh, They tell him not to go, even though he's quite clear from God that that's what he must do. So through prayer and through wise Christian counsel, I was helped to weigh up those two options before me, the call to ministry or the God-send job at the university. 
And my reflection on it all was that, that God was actually calling me into pastoral ministry, Christian ministry, and that that was the path that I needed to pursue. The job offer was a gift from God, but it wasn't one that I should accept. As I discerned it, what I felt God was saying was, I don't want you to just go through the motions in choosing this path to go into ministry. I'm presenting you the dream job. Here I am. I'm placing it in your hand. But what I want you to do is to lay it down. It's part of counting the cost and leaving that behind in order to pursue this path and make this a very deliberate choice as you continue to serve me and follow me and obey me. So that's what I did. I laid that down to pursue that, and yet I'm thankful to God for what he did in that situation, in the midst of that dilemma. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to pray particularly uh, if you're facing a decision at the moment, you might want to just hold that in your mind very clearly um, as we bring it before God now in prayer. So let me pray, and the band can come up as I do that. God, thank you that you are reliable, that you want the best for us, that you have made us and you want us to live lives that are life-filled as we follow you. Please give us wisdom. Please give us discernment. Please help us as we make decisions in our life. Pray especially for these things that people are holding in their minds and naming right now. God, I ask that you would speak into those situations, that you would give clarity about which way people should decide in the decisions they're facing. I pray that you would surround people with good friends and wise advice as they make those choices. And in all of it, Lord, I pray that we would make our decisions in obedience to you, submitting every aspect of our lives to your rule. And I pray that you would lead us, that you would direct us, and that you would lead us into the path of life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.